Joe McGraw. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Vanessa. How are you? I cannot complain. It's a gorgeous day. How are you doing? Oh, excellent. It's gorgeous here as well. So we had a chance to meet you, uh, talk with you a few weeks back about your run for Congress in the 17th Congressional District, which includes our listening area. Remind uh, people a little bit about yourself, Joe. Thanks, Vanessa. Um, I retired from being a circuit court judge uh, after almost 22 years, and my time on the bench uh, allowed me to see the disastrous effects of Biden's border policies in our communities. Um, I was also a chief judge of the uh, circuit and also uh, communicated regularly with all the other chief judges around the state. And uh, all the chief judges are facing the same thing. We're finding that all of our communities are now border communities because of drugs and human trafficking and uh, crime because of the border policies. And so I have five adult kids and two grandkids, Vanessa, and uh, I decided that uh, rather than going to Florida with all my other colleagues, I was going to stick around and fight the good fight in the 17th because the people of the 17th Congressional District deserve someone who will represent them and represent their values in Washington, D.C., and not try and bring Washington, D.C. values back to the district. What are the main premise, uh, the main platform that you're running on with those values? What do you think the 17th would like? Uh, what what do those mean to citizens in the 17th? Well, you know, we've been crisscrossing the district uh, ever since we announced our campaign launch on October 3rd. And the themes that we constantly hear uh, are people don't feel safe. They are sensing the deterioration in law and order, the Democrats' soft on crime policies, and they don't feel safe. Things are, uh, they feel insecure. And because of all the uh, illegal immigrants and all the crime and all the drugs, so that, that's their chief concern, and close uh, second is uh, the economy. Um, I don't, they don't believe what they read in the paper about somehow uh, things are turning around economically. They still go to the grocery store and the gas station and pay about $2,000 more a year for the same goods and services that they got uh, two years ago. So uh, they are feeling that, the credit card uh, crunch, the high interest rates to become a new home buyer. Those are the things that are on their mind. They want someone to uh, balance the budget and secure the border. Do you think there's any way, let's say that um, you're elected, Joe, uh, for Congress, is there any way to find solutions to these challenges that you're hearing from the district with the Democrats, is there a way for compromise uh, to be reached? Is that something you'll try to make happen? Well, one thing I learned uh, being a circuit court judge uh, for almost 22 years is you have to listen very carefully to both sides because, as you know, the justice system is an adversarial system, and I have to listen very closely uh, to both presentations, one from each side, listen carefully to the testimony, uh, evaluate it, receive the evidence, and decide what weight to give to it, and then uh, look and see what the law required, and then carefully and impartially deliberate to reach a decision. 
Um, when you're a judge, you can't vote present. You have to make a decision. And because of the adversary nature of the system, you know that 100% of the time, 50% of the people in the court are going to disagree with whatever, whatever decision you made. Mm-hmm. But I've handled everything from death penalty cases to child custody cases. And so I've learned how to uh, carefully and thoughtfully and deliberatively hear both sides and reach a, a decision based on the law and the evidence. And you uh, were here, I believe, as an assistant state's attorney in Warren County. Does that sound right? <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, that's my first job out of law school. Um, Reagan McClintock was a state's attorney, and I think that was, oh gosh, in the middle 80s. I came out there and he gave me my first job, and uh, forever grateful. I was down in uh, Galesburg yesterday with a bunch of friends from Monmouth, and uh, it was great to renew old acquaintances and make new friends. Yeah, what was going on in Galesburg yesterday? We uh, had a reception at the Sidetracks Barn Grill. Uh, for those that are interested in learning about me and learning about our campaign and learning why mm-hmm. we are going to be su- successful in defeating uh, Eric Sorensen uh, come November based on his uh, record, uh, based on his voting, uh, based on his public statements, and based on those major issues I just discussed, uh, lack of a secure border and the cratering economy. When you talk about the border, what ideas do you have to secure the border? What what can you share with our, our residents? Yeah. Um, I went down to see the border myself, Vanessa. I went down to the Yuma uh, crossing in Yuma, Arizona, because I thought, look, if I'm going to run for Congress, I need to see things for myself and not just look at, you know, photo clips or news stories. So I spent time with a retired Border Patrol commander down there and uh, went to the border a couple of times while I was there. Um, A couple of things have to happen. Um, The day President Biden was inaugurated, he, with an executive order, put a stop to the construction of the border wall, the completion of the wall. He also put a stop to the stay in Mexico agreement that uh, President Trump had worked out with Mexico. That's so important because when those come and are seeking asylum, uh, it should be the exception, not the rule, that their parole is in the United States. They should be uh, remain in the nearest country that can offer them asylum and stay there until uh, an administrative law judge has a chance to look at the facts and circumstances of their claim and determine if they're eligible uh, uh, for asylum or not. Uh, All that was undone with the stroke of the pen uh, by President Biden. And so it is really as simple as, we don't need to reinvent a wheel here, it's really as simple as returning to those uh, policies that were in place uh, and those agreements that we uh, worked out with Mexico uh, before uh, Biden was elected. We had just a tiny trickle of illegal immigrants um, under the President Trump administration. It would be nice if some of those countries where these immigrants are trying to flee and leave or or come to the United States, it'd be nice if they could find a way to get a handle on their own countries and help their residents have fruitful lives. Wouldn't that be nice? It would be. 
But uh, in addition to those folks, uh, we should be concerned about the number of uh, military-aged males from countries that are state sponsors of terror uh, crossing the border and the cartel traffickers and the human traffickers and now the uh, huge influx of people from uh, communist China that are crossing our borders. Um, these are things that should uh, give us pause and create alarm because uh, these are people are coming from countries that are more or less dedicated to our uh, destruction, and now they're having their uh, unvetted, completely unvetted, unidentified, anonymous uh, nationals coming in from as I said, China and the state sponsors of terror, and they're here, uh, let's just say, under uh, circumstances that would cause a reasonable person to wonder if uh, they are here as an agent of the country from which they come and that they mean us ill. And when you talk to the retired border control commander, do are, are they the ones recognizing or seeing these types of people crossing the border, and does the Department of Justice know where these folks are going? The Department of Justice has no idea where they're going. Um, uh, just in a typical day down there at Yuma, um, the uh, it was at nighttime the first time we went to the border, and we could hear the voices. Uh, the wind was coming from the south. We could hear the voices of those that were... Uh, in the forest across the fence uh, waiting to come into the U.S. We hear the snapping of the twigs as they were milling about, and then they would come across, and they'd be in such numbers that uh, local and state and federal law enforcement would be completely overrun trying to um, get them uh, processed. They would then be given a court date in the United States uh, at least four years in the future and there'd be no supervision or no contact, and we didn't know who they were. They would, uh, when the next morning we went down to the border and we were told what we'd find, and what we found was the wind was still coming from the south, and there's litter all along the border of shredded passports, shredded IDs. Uh, everyone comes across uh, attempting to be anonymous, claiming to be whoever they want. And, uh, you know, the retired commander told uh, us a, uh, experience that uh, he had had a couple months before then. One of these individuals had come across uh, from a Middle Eastern country, and they didn't know who he was. So they would take a you know, retinal scan and a DNA swab, so at least they have some record of who crossed the border, even though they don't know who they are. They have no way of checking who they are. Those countries don't share any databases with us. And a couple of months later, this person was arrested up in uh, the Minneapolis area when the FBI raided a jihadist terror cell up there. And it turned out that uh, at that time when they had more opportunity to investigate that this uh, person was a general in the Iranian army. So that's one small example of one person that uh, we were able to uh, ultimately track down as they sought to affiliate themselves with uh, other terrorists. And so you, just, you know that it's going on all the time everywhere, and the Justice Department is aware of it. And it, it is as though, well, you've seen the controversy regarding Mayorkas' absolute failure to uh, carry out the will of the American people at the border. Um, they come in in droves. Everybody knows it. 
and there's nothing being done about it. So, and I, I have not been there, uh, obviously, so I have no way of giving any type of idea about this. I can only go off what you're telling me, uh, Mr. McGraw. What happens after they cross, since you well, were down there uh, with that retired border commander? What, where do they go? I mean, you described the guy that went to Minneapolis. That's an unfortunate situation for sure. But where do most of them go after they've crossed? No one really knows. First of all, they overrun completely all the services in the area. Um, we went to uh, the hospital in Yuma, spoke to the medical director, and he told us that in 2023, uh, the hospital spent over $26 million in taking care of illegals. Uh, at the hospital, the hospital was completely overrun with the illegals. Americans had to travel uh, 80 miles away to the next nearest hospital to get hospital care. The food banks were overrun, picked clean. The social services were overrun. And so this is uh, just the local impact. And Yuma area provides about 80 to 90 percent of the head lettuce uh, in the United States. There are very strict controls, agricultural controls, on food that goes from the field to the table. And these immigrants were just camping out in their fields and defecating and defiling areas with their uh, waste and trash. And so the farmers are required by law to scrape off entire areas of their field that are in any way contaminated and uh, they don't get crop insurance for it either. And so there's some fifth-generation farmers that are barely hanging on uh, because of what's happening, uh, this influx. And so your question is a good one. Where do they go? Well, they go everywhere. Uh, some are go to so-called sanctuary cities and sanctuary states like Illinois and Chicago. Uh, others are just in the wind, so to speak. No one really knows where they end up. But they're uh, ending up everywhere, and because we don't know who they are, uh, and we, there's no way to make them show up for their court date, um, they're essentially just free to roam about the U.S. They're given health care. Uh, they're given visa cards. Uh, they're provided food and shelter. And the health care is free. And w what American uh, wouldn't like to get free health care? Uh, but it, the administration gives uh, more rights and privileges to illegal aliens than they do to their own citizens. We're talking with Joe McGraw. He is running for Congress as a Republican on the 17th Congressional District ballot. Uh, what's what's next for you, Joe? Where do you head on the campaign trail? Well, we'll be down in uh, the Quad Cities uh, uh, on Saturday for the uh, gun show. Um, we'd like to talk to the folks in uh, those areas and uh, let them know that uh, we respect all their rights, the First Amendment right and their Second Amendment rights especially. Um, and then, uh, so we'll be down there on Saturday, and then we'll be uh, in an event hosted by Senator Neil Anderson um, uh, after the gun show. And then on the uh, 16th of February, we'll be in Fulton County having another law enforcement roundtable. We had one here in uh, Winnebago County. We're working with law enforcement to make sure we understand the challenges they're facing. I'm a former prosecutor as well as attorney and judge, and 
there's so many obstacles to law enforcement being able to do their job. One is the, uh, in Illinois, for example, the so-called Trust Act doesn't even allow law enforcement to find out the immigration status of those they elect, uh, pardon me, arrest, uh, you know. So they don't know if, uh, who they are, and they don't know if they're uh, dealing with a criminal, uh, someone who there's a warrant out for. They can't even ask about their immigration status. So on the 16th in Fulton County, we're having another uh, law enforcement uh, uh, roundtable there to, you know, keep in touch with uh, what the challenges are and craft solutions. And I was really honored to receive uh, not only the endorsement of Congressman Darren LaHood and Congresswoman Elisa Stefanik, but Ray Estrada uh, endorsed me on Tuesday. He's going to be an integral part of our campaign. And the Illinois Fraternal Order of Police, uh, largest uh, police labor organization in the state representing over 30,000 officers, endorsed me as well. Okay. And I think you might even be coming to the Monmouth area on February 26th for the Lincoln Day Dinner. Yeah, our Lincoln Day dinner would definitely be there in Monmouth and looking forward to that and uh, kind of like a homecoming when I come back to the Monmouth area and, uh, you know, people are ready for a change, Vanessa. They know things can't continue as they are and uh, they're looking for someone to represent their values in Washington and that's why I'm receiving such great support. Okay. Well, you guys reached out again to us, so thanks for doing that. And uh, we will talk to you again soon. Okay. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity, Vanessa. If your listeners are interested, they can go to judgejoeforcongress.com and learn about us or go on social media at Judge Joe McGraw and see what we're up to. Okay. Thanks for calling in this morning, Joe. Okay. Thanks, Vanessa. Take care. Bye-bye. That is Joe McGraw for Congress on WRAM. Coming up next week, we'll hear from Congressman Eric Sorensen on The Morning Show. This has been your Security Savings Bank, Community Hour, part of your community, part of your life, member FDIC.